Good morning. Man, it is good to see you today. This, how many of you just know today's going to be a good day? Huh? It is. The fact that it is February 2nd has a lot to do with it. You know, they say, they tell pastors don't talk about anything that's just, that's the obvious, okay? I'm sorry. I, I'm glad that we're done with January. I just, I want to thank the Lord that time marches on and we are not stuck in the month of January. Does anybody else feel that at all? <clears throat> Love it. I feel like if we can make it through January, we are almost home free, baby. All right, simmer down, Kevin, simmer down. Rain it in. Well, we are starting a new series today. Uh, I'm excited about that. And uh, somebody would say, you're excited about everything. Um, that's true. Uh, but I'm excited about this series called Impact. I love the idea of having an impact. I, I do with, with our own personal lives. I absolutely love it. And that word impact, I love, and, and I think that what, what I'm going to do throughout the month is we're going to talk about, uh, specifically today, some attributes that really help us to make an impact, okay? Now, as I go through these today, you might say, well, I don't have that one very, very good. I'm not saying that you have to have it. I'm just saying that it helps us, okay? And so uh, the word impact, it has several different meanings. It can mean physical force like a collision, which I'm hoping we see some really good ones later this afternoon as we watch the Super Bowl. I'm hoping for that. Uh, it also means to have a strong effect as an illustration. Three feet of snow on my roof has a big impact, okay? It has a strong effect. Uh, but most commonly, that we're, it's used for, for influence. Um, how many of you are teachers? Raise your hand if you're a teacher. If you work in the school system, if you drive a bus, Ed, raise your hand. Okay, you have an, an influence, an impact, a good impact on the life of students. Thank you very much for that. We are so appreciative. Let's hear it for our teachers this morning. I, I just, I believe that there are a lot of people here today that want to have an impact on the world with their lives. I'm going to give you three areas in our life where, um, where we, I, I think that we need a measure of health. And the more that we can, can gather, um, the, the bigger the impact we have, the potential of making. It doesn't guarantee anything. Um, and, and I know that some of you, as you're taking notes, um, we're going to get to the end of the message, and you're going to say, you know, it wasn't a very spiritual message, okay? I, I think I preach, I, I preach from God's word. I think I preach messages that are geared towards our spiritual health all the time, so cut me some slack, okay? Um, but I, I think what I'm going to share, it's, it's really from my heart, and I feel that it's really for us today. The first, the first area, the first type of health that we need to, to make a, a, a significant impact and, and I know not everybody has this, okay? So don't, don't, don't walk away from me mentally here if you feel like you don't have this, but it's physical health, okay? Physical health. Um, let me tell you about uh, a kid that grew up in Illinois, okay? Um, kid grew up in Illinois. He was a football and track star um, in his high school. 
uh, in Bloomington, Illinois. Um, his senior year, the year 2000, uh, he rushed for 1,992 games. He scored 23 touchdowns. Uh, when he got to college, he was an excellent defensive player. In fact, in 2003 and in 2004 seasons in college, he was named uh, his team's most valuable defensive back. After college, he played semi-pro in the United Indoor Football League. He got his first coaching job in 2014, and he got hired uh, to coach at a, a school, and they were on the verge of closing their program because of a lack of interest. His first season as a head coach, the team won only one game. He felt that the kids had lost their ability to believe in themselves on the field. And so he really set out to change the culture and he challenged his players to work hard every day. He started teaching his, his players, his team, how to give back to the community. And he started doing projects out in the community where the boys could get together and they could go to someone's home and they could do something that would really help make a difference for a person that, that might be physically unable to do something because of age or maybe illness. And they would do things like stack firewood for people. Twice over the next four seasons, they got to the playoffs. That had only happened in the school twice, uh, two other times since the mid-70s. And it was about 10 days ago that they found his lifeless body there at the school. A fellow colleague found his body. His name is Dion Brown. He was 37 years old. He coached the varsity football program for Gwynn High School. His impact in that community, on that high school, and on those players will be greatly missed. Friends, the impact that we have on our family, on our church, on our community can be directly affected by our physical health. The greater physical health that we have, the greater our potential impact can be. Joyce Meyer, a lot of you I know uh, listen to Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer says this, I believe that the greatest gift you can give your family and the world is a healthy you. The apostle Paul talks about physical training and he says it's, it's worth something. It's worth a little. It's not the greatest thing but he said, taking care of yourself, training, being physically active, it's, it's of some value, but it's, it's not the most important of all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Do not forget that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now the price that has been paid for you and for me is literally the blood of Jesus Christ. At the end of our service today, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together and we hand out that little cup filled with juice and that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. That, that was the payment 
for us. The price that's been paid for us. So the least of our response should be that we will honor and glorify God with our bodies, which Paul refers to as the temple of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how can I honor God with my body? And, and it's, it sounds so simple, and, and, and you might think this is really dumb, but I, you know, just, just right off the top of my head, you can, you can rest, you can eat right, and you can exercise. Now, I'm going to just share personally with you that 15 years ago, I, I did something that I, I didn't do very often. In fact, I hadn't done it in years, okay? I went to the doctor. Okay, now I, I don't know, I just, I just didn't go for, for years. I didn't go for a physical and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to the doctor and I went to the doctor and, and, and I, I established this guy as my primary care physician and I went to the doctor and had a physical and he said, okay, Kevin, he said, I've, I've developed this sort of this, 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 this indicator and I've got 10 markers and these 10 markers help establish someone's uh, potential risk for having a heart attack. And he said, the only thing on my markers that you could do to increase your likelihood of a heart attack is if you already had a heart attack. That was a cold slap in the face. And over the next four months, I started eating twigs and berries. And I mean, I was, I, I just, I read every label. I dropped my cholesterol 120 points in less than four months. Now, okay, you're going to, I still had high cholesterol after that. Okay. I should be the poster child for Quaker oatmeal. Okay. They do, they do commercials for 12 points. Have you ever seen it? I, I dropped my cholesterol 12 points by eating Quaker I 120 points. And I still had high cholesterol. I thank my grandparents for that. I lost weight. I did. I, I, in fact, I lost too much weight. I had I I went I went for a wedding or a funeral out east and people that had known they they said Kevin are you sick is it really they thought they thought I was dying okay they thought something was wrong with me I got I got hooked I, you know a little it didn't happen right away I got hooked on running and I and I just I started all of a sudden I just I, I wanted to be healthy. Because I, I wanted to live longer. You see, something happened in my life, you know, uh, just a little more than 15 years ago. We had our, our third child, okay? And, and it was a little unexpected, or maybe it was a lot unexpected, okay? And, and I, want, I said, I got to live longer. I, I said, I need to live at least 10 years longer. So I started paying attention. I started reading labels. I started caring about those things. Okay? And I still had a cardiac arrest 13 years after that. So there's sometimes we, we, we can do everything we can do, but it doesn't mean that it's going to take care of everything. Now, I had cardiac arrest. I had to have open heart surgery. But let me tell you something. I didn't roll over and say, well, 
It's all genetics. I guess no matter what you do, you know, there's nothing you can really do. No, I I said, you know what? I'm going to try even harder. I'm going to do everything I can. I don't have to pay for a stress test. I put myself through a stress test every time I go to the gym or every time I run. Why? Because I want to be as healthy as I possibly can be. Many of you know that our family has been deeply affected, deeply affected by a disease that I hate. I mean, I hate it bad. It's the disease of diabetes. I hate that disease. They can't do any, my, the, 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 my sons, they can't do anything. The, the, di, the diabetes is there's a set of genes in one parent and a set of genes in another parent. We don't test for those genes. And then there's a possibility. And so when our oldest, when he was diagnosed, only 5% of families that have one child with diabetes will have a second child. And we obviously are very special because we had a second child with diabetes. I hate it. I hate it. But the only thing that you can do with something like diabetes is take care of yourself. Manage your health so that you can have an impact on other people's lives. When, when I faced surgery, it was no it, 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 once you know you have to have open heart surgery, it's like, okay, let's move on. Let's get it done. Okay, why? Because I want to keep making an impact. I want, I want my life to matter. I want it to matter. Every one of us should do everything in our power to be healthy so that we can maximize our impact on those that are around us. I'll move off of that. The second area is emotional health. This is big for us in our culture, in our society. I'm not an expert, okay? I'm not. I could bring AJ up here and he could talk about all sorts of stuff because he's an expert. Sometimes I call him and I say, hey, let me run this by you and make sure that I'm, I'm correct. I'm not an expert. I... I I've had struggles. I'm sure you've had struggles with emotional health before. To maximize our impact, we should look to be as emotionally healthy as we possibly can. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of characters in the Bible that dealt significantly with issues of anxiety or depression. And we can tell by the things they said, okay? Let me just throw some out here for you. A man named Job in the Old Testament. Here's what Job said. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come? I'd say say Job was suffering from depression and anxiety. How about Elijah? I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. How about Solomon? (laughs) The guy had everything. 
He said, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Here's a woman named Naomi. She was the the mother-in-law of Ruth, and she said this, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She had a bitter existence. How about Jonah? Now, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I'd I'd say that sounds pretty depressed to me. How about Jeremiah the prophet? Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Now, they struggled with their emotional health, but it didn't mean they didn't have an impact. Anxiety and depression don't exempt us from making a significant impact, but they did have to fight hard against things like anxiety and depression. In American history, one of our leaders, I I never, never really thought about it till I began to prepare this week. One of our American leaders lost his mom when he was a young child, lost his closest sister when he was 18, and by the age of 56, 10 of his 12 children had died. Abraham Lincoln. Add in that that he suffered defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat in his political career. Historians and researchers have looked at his life and, and they have, they've really determined that he probably had numerous types of anxiety and suffered from things like anxiety and depression. And yet, when this country needed a leader, there he was. A broken man, but yet God used him in a powerful way at a crucial time. We know that anxiety is, is, it's more than just common in America, okay? They say that one in six Americans take some form of an antidepressant. That's a, a pretty big number. But how many more suffer from anxiety that are undiagnosed, that don't take any medication, or they self-medicate? It's, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of that. I sat with people at all levels of income and education and position who suffer from anxiety. It is not exclusive to those who are poor or those who are underaccomplished or those who are successful and make a lot of money. It's anybody and everybody. The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, they provide us with some incredible encouragement. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says this, cast all your anxiety on him, meaning God, because he cares for you. Peter reminds us God cares for me. God cares for me. God cares for you. Do you realize that? 
You can take all of your care, all of your anxiety, and you can heap it on him. Put it on him. Why? Oh, Jesus tells us. He said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus said, heap it all on me. Why? He's strong enough to carry it. I'm not. I can't do it. I cannot do it. But he can. I can't handle even all my own stuff, let alone anyone else's. But he can. God cares for us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes this, Do not be anxious about anything. I said this last week. Do you know Paul had anxiety? He says it. One of the, the people that the Philippians sent to help take care of him was a guy named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus got sick and almost died. And Paul had so much anxiety about it that he sent Epaphroditus home so that he could go back to the, Philipp the Philippian church. And, and Paul was worried that he might die with Paul and Paul would feel responsible. Paul said, I did it to decrease my own anxiety. The apostle Paul. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Why do you think he says it that way? And I'll tell you what I think. You see, I think anxiety only needs one thing to think about. Because when anxiety gets hold of that one thing, it's hard to stop thinking about it. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Not just about the one thing. Don't be anxious about anything. In order for you and I to have the impact that we desire, let's improve our emotional health by taking every situation to the Lord because Jesus is able to bear our burdens. It's and I, you said, like, man, it's easier said than done. But we got to do it. We've got to do it. One of my favorite verses, and this is the one. <laughs> if, if, if you said, okay, Kevin, when you go to bed tonight, there's only one verse that you can quote when you go to bed. What's going to be the, the verse that you quote? Here it is. If I, if I can only have one in the whole Bible, okay, it's Paul's words. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's Kevin Taylor's verse at night. When I, when I wake up at night and I see your faces, okay, and I can't go back to sleep, and all of a sudden all the problems of life and ministry roll around in my heart and in my mind, the verse that I say is God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And then I say it again. And then I say it again. And if I'm still awake, I say it again until peace comes over my heart. The third thing, relational health. Whew. 
It's not a very spiritual message, but man, it hurts. Relational health. We can't achieve a high level of impact if we're alone and if we don't have healthy relationships. Let me break it down into a few areas. First one is this, forgiveness. The last leader that I worked for uh, before coming to Marquette was a man named Jack Reisner. Pastor Jack said, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, he said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us that if our brother has sinned against us, if he's offended us, that we should go to him and make him aware of it in order that there can be healing that comes to that relationship. After Jesus is done uh, teaching the Lord's Prayer, saying to us, this is how you should pray. As soon as Jesus is done with that prayer, he moves forward talking about the importance of forgiveness. And he said that if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Forgiveness is so incredibly important to us. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Peter thinks he's got the right number. He said, seven times? Jesus said, no, no. Silly Peter. Seventy times seven. Now, Jesus didn't mean 490. He meant you just keep forgiving. You just continue to forgive. Now, I realize that somebody here is going to say, well, yeah, but doesn't that mean I'm going to open myself up for abuse? I'm not talking about putting yourself in a position where you can be abused, okay? But forgiveness is so essential. And I think that we really struggle with that as human beings. The great Ernest Hemingway told a story about a man who had a teenage son who ran away from home. And the father did everything that he could to find his son, but it was all to no avail. He could not locate his son. And so it was a last-ditch effort. The man placed an ad at the, in the local newspaper in, a, in, a, in the major city in which they lived, and it said this, Dear son, Meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. And in the morning, 800 young men showed up in front of the newspaper office because they wanted to have a right relationship with their dad that was broken. Friends, in order for us to have a significant impact in the world, we need to be able to forgive. The next aspect of 
This relationship issue is friendship. Proverbs 17, 7 says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I used to tell you and I have told you that I thought that that verse meant my brother was born to bring adversity into my life. I'm the oldest. He was the adversity that God hung on me. I've told you I told you the story about my brother Dan. We were grouse hunting in Iron River one day. We got into I, and it was it was it was really weird. It was it was over a dog, okay, a hunting dog. Never criticize a man's hunting dog. And all of a sudden an argument just it just welled up. And I, I, was, I was rocked by this, rocked. And we, we, we didn't just leave in a huff. We actually continued to try to work it out for several hours, okay? We stayed at this. And then we, had to, we each had to get home, and, and, and I, man, I just, I could not shake it. And I would see his name come up on my phone when he called me. My closest buddy. And I, I would get this, this pang of just this hurt when I would sit. And I would look for a reason not to answer his call. He even asked me, he said, Kevin, is something wrong? He said, is there anything left over from our, our kind of our argument? He said, man, forgive me. I, I don't want anything to come between. I said, no, nothing. That's nothing. A couple months later, my mom emails me and said, Kevin, something is going on between the two of you and you've got to fix it. I sat down and I wrote a letter. And I admitted that I was hurt. I told him why I was hurt, and I said, I forgive you. And I kid you not, it was gone. It was lifted. And I never felt that again. And he has been someone that is in ministry that I can walk with and tell my, my greatest fears, my greatest accomplishments, my greatest sorrows, and he to me as well. We're not created to go at this alone. We need friendship so who in your life is that friend that can tell you how it is and you will not walk away angry? Who is the friend that can lay it on the line and you will not part ways? And the third thing is mentoring. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is part of relational health. Who are you helping to reach the next level in their lives with no promise that you'll receive anything in return? And how much time are you spending doing it? You want to make an impact? It may come through someone else's life. Who are you speaking into? 
Who are you working with? Who are you spending time with? And all they do is talk about their situation and you're walking with them. You're mentoring them to become something better than they are. If we're going to make an impact, we need to be have this desire to, to, to help others rise higher. Over the years, I've heard people say things like, nobody ever helped me like that. Why should I help anybody? The spirit of competition is destroying our ability to have a greater impact by our personal investment. So if we desire to make more impact in 2020 beyond where we are right now, I believe that, that, that we, just, we, we, should, we should say, God, I want to I be more healthy so I can make that impact physically, emotionally, and relationally. You see, I believe in Silver Creek Church. I believe in you. I believe that God has something more for you than where you are right now. But it's not going to happen by accident. You've got to be a player. You've got to be a participant in it. And you've got to say, all right, I'm in. I'm in. It doesn't matter what my past has been. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are now. I am going to have an impact as I move forward.